0: All righty, how's it going, everyone? Happy Monday. We are on episode 48 with Paul oh co-founder of Bora Bora. Beautiful product. Um, I actually still haven't tried it, but I'm going to at Airwan ASAP. Um, uh, really excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for joining us. really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, David. Great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I first and foremost, your your brand company, I, the aesthetic is is really beautiful. Um, differentiated bre- beverage, really, you know, taking you're re- really going after the functional beverage market. Um, a lot of great brands and emerging companies that are coming into the space. But Paul, tell us just a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you from? And how did you get into CPG?
1: Sure. Uh... I live in San Francisco now. I grew up outside of New York City in a small town called Rye. Uh, I grew up in a home that did not drink soda. Uh, my wife Maddie and co-founder also grew up in a home that didn't drink soda, so we were we were drinking a lot of sparkling water. Uh, and if you're familiar with kind of a well stocked fridge at a startup, then you drink a lot of sparkling water. So I was drinking kind of eight to 10 cans of conventional sparkling water every day and just felt like, why Why is there no artisanal version of this product? Our uh, office pantry had kettle potato chips and Justin's peanut butter and Jenny's ice cream, and it felt like there should be a artisanal version of sparkling water similar to all three of those products. So and that's we're kind of where
0: we we're, we're Topo Chico guy, uh, LaCroix, what what were you drinking in the meantime?
1: Yeah, that office had kind of alternated between LaCroix and Waterloo. Um, You know, like a lot of people, kind of Topo Chico at a dinner party, maybe Perrier uh, out. So all, all have a different use occasion. But regardless, it didn't feel like anyone was using differentiated ingredients, one of a kind flavors, killer branding and a more natural taste. So that's kind of the four pillars that we think make us extremely different
0: love it and just to stop you quickly did you say you're from rye i am yeah i'm in purchase new york at one of my best friend's houses uh traveling work but uh that's pretty close i love that well
1: please if you get a chance go to hand rolled bagels
0: for the the best bagel in the country done i'm gonna actually have to to check that out so good um small world very very funny um Awesome. Well, okay. So you're a diehard, uh, you soda enthusiast, but you don't drink soda. So you're looking for an alternative to soda. Um, you were drinking sparkling in all different avenues and walks of life, but there wasn't one that you felt really, uh, dialed into a really artisanal, uh, you know, kind of a use case. And so, um, you know, before this, were you in CPG? Did you have a, a background in, in, the food beverage industry? No, not at all. Uh, Only as a a,
1: uh, consumer that was maybe a little more knowledgeable than most, but no background in CPG whatsoever. The closest is my uh, older sister runs an ice cream parlor in San Diego. So that's the closest I came to CPG. Um, And previous to this, I was working at a, a small private equity firm in Denver, Colorado.
0: Amazing. And was it private equity focused on this space or completely different? No,
1: no consumer whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Got it. And so, um, look, I also have a lot of respect for that. I used to be an anchor. So going from finance into something super high risk takes a lot of hard work to, uh, you know, have the skill set to even get into private equity. So what was that epiphany? Like what really pushed you to say, I'm going to really bet on myself with, uh, you said your wife or your girlfriend, uh, yeah, my
1: wife. Yeah.
0: Um, try and go, go go and do this. It's a pretty big life decision.
1: Yeah, I had, um, two awesome bosses at that job. So the name of that firm is, uh, it's called Saturn five. And there's a, there's a component of that job where we were purchasing businesses, uh, but there was also a component where we were starting businesses. And I, I think I, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm having all of the worst experiences of being an entrepreneur with none of the kind of exciting payoff, um, yep. So if I'm already doing this job that I really enjoyed for bosses that I deeply respected, but I'm doing the worst parts of being an entrepreneur, I might as well just go all in and get the best parts too. Um, And felt like worst case scenario, I'll be right back here and I, I can try to find a job similar to this one. So I'll say I was luckier than most in that it didn't feel like as big a risk. I've since gotten to know a number of entrepreneurs that you know, they have uh, graduate school debt or children at home or, or various other things that kind of compound the risk and up the ante. And I felt like all things considered, I had as bad a low risk as possible. One like humorous anecdote there is, you know, we were in Denver, Colorado, which has really low cost of living relative to the coasts. Yep. And, and so it definitely felt like, hey, you know, we can live on one salary. My wife, Maddie was working as well. Uh, and then almost laughably, maybe two weeks after I quit my job in the summer of 2019, she got recruited to work at a software company in San Francisco. Um, So immediately it went from, Oh man, we can, we can definitely survive on one salary to, okay, this sparkling water thing better work uh, (laughs) because cost of living just tripled.
0: Yeah. So now, so now you're in the Bay, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. We're in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Love it. And, Um, Okay, so awesome that you both bought in and ready to jump off. Where do you even start uh, to get into the the beverage game? I mean, the truth is, it's one of the more expensive CPG categories and verticals you could go into. You're up against some of the largest companies in the world, Coke, Pepsi, uh, all the other water brands we mentioned. Um, Where do you get going?
1: Yeah, I I, uh, now look back at this and I'm extremely grateful that we, you know, for a lot of the R&D and product development and testing and our first few production runs all happened in Boulder, Colorado, maybe 15 minutes from where we used to live in Denver. And I didn't know it at the time. Of course, now I know, know living in Boulder is like being in oil and gas and living in Houston. I didn't know that. I just thought, man, everyone I run into knows a food scientist or knows where I can get aluminum cans or knows where I can find a graphic designer in CPG. And I just thought, gosh, like this is amazing how connected everyone is. Obviously, now I realize we were just incredibly fortunate. So, to answer the question, first started with we had a soda stream and we had some botanicals and herbal extracts and fruits and kind of whatever we could get our hands on in our pantry and just started mixing with our soda stream. And to be honest, it started as a joke. You know, we had a group of friends that came over every week for pizza. And I thought it was a very funny joke that, you know, we were serving Domino's pepperoni pizza and I'd serve this kind of pretentious water along I with it. water okay. tasting,
0: like wine, varieties. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so it was, hey, enjoy Domino's your... Pepper. Domino's pizza though to get them over. That's right. They
1: come over Domino's pizza and then I say, hey, enjoy this lemongrass coconut water. <laughs> just literally as a joke. Um, and then after enough weeks of that, that group of like 10 or 12 friends said, hey, we know you're doing this as like a little sketch, but I would buy this if you put it in a can. So we uh, found like a food scientist, turns out what we were making the SodaStream versions with, like you really shouldn't consume in big quantities. Didn't know that, now I do. Um, Found a food scientist in Boulder, found a, a really kind of scrappy way to do like a few initial production runs. That was kind of summer, fall, 2019. And then we had a thousand cans that we canned ourselves at a trade show in Boulder. Um, and luckily
0: really quick, did you find a co-packer that would, cause that's, that's one of the hardest parts. Getting it is. So so you found somebody that was canning something and you're like, Hey, please. Was that like a cold email? How did you even get in there to do it?
1: No. Th- yeah. Thankfully. Um, again, being in Boulder, I, I, I found him and said, Hey, if I show up and use your tiny little, it wasn't his big main canning line. It was like a tiny machine you could probably buy for $1,500. I said, hey, if if I bring the cans, will you fill them and I'll can them? Um, And then if it goes well, I'll guarantee the minimum order for a production run. And he said, deal, no problem. So that was lucky because that was our first thousand cans. I was doing it myself with a a guy we hired. He was like 17 years old Um, and then showed up to that like literally the trade show that night uh, and luckily had a pretty good re- response to the trade show, got into our first store as a result. And then maybe three weeks later, end of 2019, beginning of 2020, we did our first actual production run with that same co-packer.
0: Any issues with your first run, canning yourself or it was perfect?
1: Uh, so it was just a thousand cans. So if if, if we had issues, I didn't hear about them because we we just sold to the one store and we're still in that store. It's actually still one of our best accounts. So uh I don't know, probably a hundred of those thousand I drank myself because I was, you know, nervous that I might have made a mistake or I didn't carbonate it right, et cetera. Um, but fortunately, no.
0: I, I just love it. I relate to it. Like our first few like thousand units we're literally making like in my mom's kitchen, or like yeah. you know, it's it's just uh I, I love that. I think it's it's really, really awesome to hear. So Got initial traction, trade shows working well. You're like, holy crap, like there's something here. Right. And then you quit quit your quit your job then or you'd quit before to do it.
1: I had quit just before then, again, under the guise of, hey, we're living in Denver, might as well. Yeah. And then <laughs> move to the move to the Bay Area. So I had quit then. Um it, it probably wasn't until I had 40,000 cans like stacked up in my brother's garage in San Francisco that I really felt the immediate burning need of like, I've got to move some units, which yeah. obviously now I feel that need every day. Um, but that was kind of the first time and just started driving around the Bay Area in my Subaru, going store to store to store, meeting as many managers as
0: possible. Yeah. And and so you took that concept and kind of commercialized it with the right co-packer. And then was there a first breakthrough account that allowed you to move enough units or order? Or how did that work out?
1: Yeah, um, I would say there were two two kind of big breaks. One of them was a retailer, one was a distributor. Um, at that trade show, I, I had kind of heard murmurs that there was a forager for Whole Foods there. And I'm, I'm sure you know this, like they don't wear those name tags that everyone else wears. Um, or if they do, they have like a jacket that just covers up the, the retailer name. Um
0: the- to play on someone is to give them a whole foods tag buyer <laughs> yeah. that's good Put it on their back. No.
1: right yeah yeah that's exactly right bring your intern give them a whole foods name tag they're immediately the most popular person at the trade show um yeah. no so I, I i had heard that she was at the trade show i didn't know who she was obviously so this i didn't lie in this scenario but i came pretty close so after the trade show i just it was a small enough tabletop show where I thought the odds are somewhere between 90 and 100% that she didn't try our product and I just didn't know. So the next day I drove to the, uh, Whole Foods will probably hate me saying this, drove to the Rocky Mountain office and said, and of course there's a gatekeeper right at the front door uh, and said, hey, do you have an appointment? And I said, no, I don't have an appointment, but the buyer, the forager was at a trade show I was at in Boulder yesterday and I'm just bringing her samples. And the person behind the counter said, oh, Darcy was at the trade show yesterday. She wanted to see samples. And I didn't directly answer the question. I was like, yes, Darcy was at the trade show yesterday and I brought her samples. And the lovely woman behind the front desk said, great, second door on the left, you can just drop them on her desk. And I wrote like a quick note and said, hey, uh, I think you saw us yesterday, give them a try. And have my business card and just the best email ever was like two days later. I got an email response back her saying, love the product, so glad to meet you at the trade show. Which this is a little tip of the buyers can't remember this, who they met this,
0: this, exactly. this, Honestly, man, these are the these are the moments. Had you not done that, like it probably right. changed the course of your business. I had a totally. similar in Bristol Farms, I did something similar. Okay. I went to their headquarters and pretended I had a meeting because I had to get into UNFI and I couldn't right. get enough to get into UNFI. So Bristol Farms, you know, I'll, I'll admit it, I, I'll do the same. I did the same thing. I pretended I had a meeting and I got them in front of the buyer who ended up trying giving us a shot. And I feel like oh. not enough to talk about that because right. that initiative you know, Whole Foods, Rocky Mountain, is enough to set up your business and your foundation. Right,
1: it's, exa- it's exactly right. It's exactly what happened. And it's important to just remember that for as busy as manufacturers and entrepreneurs are and trying to keep track of everybody, buyers are the same way, if not even busier. So whether she does remember meeting me or doesn't, she doesn't wanna look like she didn't remember. So anyway, that was enough of a foundation to get us a yes. And then that was the first retailer. And that immediately got us distribution in certain regions of UNFI. And then at home in Northern California, we had kind of reached enough independent stores here. If you know the Bay Area, Rainbow Grocery, Other Avenues, uh, Calmart, there's a bunch of kind of marquee, Berkeley Bowl, marquee natural accounts. And that was enough to get us kind of a local DSD. So then kind of starting February of last year, we were off to the races, which obviously ended up being incredible timing because then the world shut down except for grocery stores uh, for the next year.
0: And getting that distribution right before COVID, we were lucky to and did that it, it was such a game changer and i feel like it was tough for brands to win your retail doors had you not put the groundwork in six to 12 months in advance and so oh, yeah. uh, super interesting and so now you guys how how did this play into shark tank and what was going on with that as well
1: yeah it was um it was it was soon after the lockdown you know like everybody uh we thought, Hey, we're just going to be inside for the next two to three weeks. That's what they're telling us. So I went actually to my parents' house and during those two to three weeks, I got an email from someone claiming to be in casting at shark tank, which obviously my first thought was like, this is a friend who has a lot of time on his hands. Cause he's locked down at home, just playing a prank on me. Um, so I replied to the email and I, I actually was like kind of snarky in my reply. Cause I just assumed it was a friend. And then we jumped on the phone. It turns out it was someone in casting at Shark Tank. They had seen the product at uh, a store somewhere in Southern California. And that was the beginning of the process, kind of April, May, June, July, a bunch of casting related things. I don't remember which of these things I'm not allowed to say, so I'll just keep it vague. And that summer in August is when we actually filmed. Um, So all that to say to your question, like, I think without that traction, I think probably the Shark Tank conversation ends pretty quickly because they're not as interested. But the fact that we were able to say, "Hey, we're in Whole Foods and a number of small regional retailers," uh, they were interested.
0: It's awesome. It's awesome. And what was the experience like for you uh, and for your company? I, uh,
1: you know, of course, like most entrepreneurs, like I was familiar with the show and a huge fan of the show, and like I'm sure everyone has a favorite shark, a least favorite shark, or has seen it somewhere. Um, but didn't really know what to expect, especially given that it was so unusual. We quarantined for, I think, 10 days before filming. So in a typical year, brands that go on Shark Tank, they fly out to LA on an all-expense paid trip. They go to Disneyland for one day. They film for another day. And worst case scenario, you just got a great weekend. Best case scenario, you go on television. For us, it was like worst case scenario, we waste two weeks going to and from and staying in Las Vegas. Um, Not my favorite place, locked in a hotel room. Best case scenario, going TV. So I'll say the the lockdown period was actually kind of great because it was just Maddie and I just constantly pitching back and forth, me asking her questions, she asking me questions. Um, And then you haven't talked to anybody for 10 days and then they knock on your door and they say, great, now you're gonna go meet a few billionaires and talk to them. So I, I was definitely worried about like, Oh my gosh, this, you know, they couldn't be catching us in a a more cold moment socially, but we'll hope for the best. So the filming experience was wild. And then of course, six months later, getting ready, knowing we were at some point going to air, or at least hoping to, um, that was wild too. You know, night of, as I'm sure you're familiar, like crazy orders, Plus getting emails from retailers or, or some
0: of our retailers, we were, already so in. you guys were like really scaling, right? You're adding more doors while you're filming and then yes, you have a, a big, like a big team to support it as, I mean, you two are probably like captains of the ship. So yeah. You that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a room while everything I would, you know, early days, probably pretty, pretty stressed out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I was stressed. There was definitely, uh, I, I was stressed. That's accurate. No, it was um, until recently, it was just myself, we had a part time salesperson. And then my wife, Maddie has a full time job. That's the only reason I can do this. Um, So I kind of got her time like on the weekends and after hours. But no, we were, yeah, very, very small team up until last month. Uh, And then of course, we were investing in inventory and just assuming the volume is going to be there because of shark tank. And obviously, fortunately it aired. Cause if not, I would have had a whole lot of inventory and, you know, desperation trying to move
0: it. Amazing. And so now post shark tank, uh, you know, what's, what's the game plan? Where are you guys heading? Uh, what's 2021 look like and onward.
1: Yeah. Um, So this year we're trying to prove out kind of the success we've had so far in limited pockets. Um, One can, can we repeat that well to a number of different consumers? Like of course, first natural channel with whole foods. We just were debuting in sprouts this week. Um, That's
0: That's a big win. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's one of the tests we're in 50 stores now, obviously, hopefully it grows. So I'll say the rest of this year, a lot of it is, can we prove that this works in natural you know, beyond a reasonable doubt and all those other retailers can kind of domino effect. And and then another piece, uh, I I think I've seen you say something similar to this effect on LinkedIn before of, there are so many brands that wanna win it natural, but it's just, uh, it's a minority of consumers. And I think we have a uh, low priced enough product that I'd like to prove it out in conventional and convenience as well, kind of after natural. And there there's this notion that uh, I think folks in higher income classes have a more developed palette or have more interest in unique ingredients or unique flavors. And we just have not found that to be true at all. So that's a big piece of this year is hey, can we lower our price? Can it be more accessible to more people and thus uh, a bigger win in conventional? So that's Personally, a
0: long I year. get the most excited about a brand that can exist in Erwan in yeah. Walmart and Costco right. when you have a product that speaks to people in 50,000 75,000 doors like right. that that's that's really challenging to do like it's one thing to create a product that's like 17.99 and and there are great products that are priced accordingly and I'm not like knocking sure. uh, one or the other but I find it really interesting uh psychologically for the customer when something can exist on so many different uh in so many different channels and those are usually my favorite brands. Like when I watch that executed and when I see your brand, I could definitely see them. I could see that they doing phenomenal. And then also in, in a Kroger or conventional retailer as well. So.
1: Yeah, that's the hope. And then one, one other piece I'll mention, not, not with retail. Obviously we sell, we sell online, which if you had asked me 12 months ago, like, will that become a significant piece of our business? Of course I would have told you, no, it's a 10 pound box of water. It's not, the most effective thing or efficient thing. We're just starting our first limited edition SKUs, so we're hoping to do four limited edition varieties before the end of the year. So I'll say, outside of retail, that's definitely what I'm most excited about. Is can we continue to play to our strengths, give people delightful but peculiar sparkling water experiences that are weird enough to be different, but not too weird to be intimidating.
0: Love that. And look, there's a lot in sparkling and better-for-you sodas. Um, you know, everything from kombuchas to prebiotic, right. sodas, poppy, olipop, uh, you know, you, you name it, um, you know, where with your product, your ingredient, where in the spectrum do you really live? And what, what, when people think of, uh, or, or uh, you know, what, what, what's typically the initial response for, for why the customer would select you?
1: Yeah. So I'll say we, um, it drinks like a sparkling water. So similar to think LaCroix, Waterloo, Polar, depending on what region of the country you live in. Um, So it's zero sugars, zero calories, totally zero nutrition facts panel. And that was the idea of, hey, can we create an artisanal sparkling water that you can drink throughout the day? So, you know, sitting right off camera here, I'm drinking my fourth can of the day, I'll probably drink eight today and it it drinks like a sparkling water, but hopefully far more delightful than the sparkling waters you're you're used to drinking. Uh, So that is the big differentiator. We try to keep our ingredients as clean and as simple as possible as a result. So there are so many brands in sparkling and I'm a consumer of a lot of the brands you even just listed. And I think a lot of them are tackling a specific functional need or have a specific use case we're not, not a functional product. Uh, we are a just core hydration product. And although functional is where a lot of the dollars and a lot of the attention is going for the most part, things you consume, you're not drinking functionally. It's just to, to hydrate. So that's, that's kind of where we live in that set. It's
0: awesome. That's awesome. Um, and so I guess I'd love to hear Paul, a, um, why AuraBora? Yeah. And what's the, three, five, 10 year vision for you as you continue to scale this company?
1: Right. So I'll I'll start with, um, we still drink, we being Americans, still drink uh, sparkling water less per capita than both Western Europe and Canada.
0: Um, So
1: sparkling water is one of the fastest growing sections of beverage, one of the fastest growing sections of the grocery store. And obviously, as you just mentioned, as people are reducing or eliminating sugar from sparkling drinks, like we all sort of meet in this, vague sparkling water world or a sparkling tonic or a sparkling juice whatever it is i think uh and i'll say i'm biased obviously this is like asking someone who's a firefighter if there's going to be a fire of course i'm going to say this this i have you know
0: risked a lot it, really, it relates to me though i'm a huge sparkling water guy Good. So Good. So, I, I think similar to how our parents viewed
1: soda where it was this massive category and you probably if you had asked our parents when they were children like is root beer and orange soda, are those competitors? They probably would tell you, no, no, they're very different sodas. They're both sodas, but they're not actually direct competitors. And then we put sparkling water in this sub little niche in carbonated soft drinks. I'm convinced over the next 10 years, we'll think of sparkling water as that big umbrella category. And people might ask, what's your favorite juice sparkling water? And you might say Spindrift. What's your favorite CBD sparkling water? And you might say Recess. What's your favorite plain sparkling water? You might say Tokyo Chico, exactly. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's and of course, our hope is when you say what's your favorite craft or artisanal or herbal sparkling water, you'll say Ouroboros. So that's to your question of where does this go in three, five, 10 years, as more and more people enter the category, either from soda or from alcohol and they're ditching alcohol, we hope to, to own our little niche. Um, so we'll continue to come out with other innovative flavors that similar to what I said earlier, are unique enough to be different, but not so unique to be intimidating. And we're going to constantly play with that line. Um, why Bora? I guess I feel that it, it selfishly, it was the thing I was consuming the most. Sounds like you're similar to this of I'm drinking this all day. Water is pretty boring. I never got into soda. I never really got into drinking calories all that much with the exception of coffee drinks. Uh, So why can't it be something delightful, but also not caloric and not have sugar, et cetera. And maybe that means, hey, we're combating soda addiction or we're combating uh, dehydration. And there's a number of ways to kind of dress it up, but put very simply, I wanted a unique, interesting sparkling water for myself. And luckily there's enough people that are drinking similar to me. So I'm answering your question directly. I'm just a selfish guy. And fortunately other people are drinking it too. (laughs)
0: I don't think you're that selfish. I, yeah. I, I think the brand name is, is is awesome. I'm a huge, like when you have um, a name that's just so differentiated that flows, um, especially like um, for a water company, um, it, it really works. So um, I, you have a fan of hey, me. Um, amazing. Well, I want to be cognizant. I know it's a Monday, which are usually the most stressful. But the last thing that I'll end on is just any tips that you might have. I love that you have a private equity background because um, this is a very high risk thing to do with your life, professionally, uh, financially, uh, psychologically, um, any tips <laughs> for potential beverage founders, founders in general. Uh, things that you really enjoying about the process that are, frankly, tough, and that you are going to be candid about. You know, sharing anything you can pass on.
1: Yeah, I would say um, to the first point of kind of things, things I've learned. You know, so so much. I mean, all of this. Ninety. I was very naive. I I just kind of thought, hey, you make a consumer product and then people buy it and you're off to the races. And that's like 99% of it. And I didn't realize that ultimately that's like 1% of it. And getting this thing physically in someone's hand is 99% of it. Whether that's distribution, sales, marketing, et cetera, all of that is the really difficult piece of this business, which intuitively everyone knows. Because when you go to the grocery store, there are items you don't enjoy that are there. And there are items you do enjoy that aren't there which just proves, okay, the vast majority of the effort must be getting to the shelf. Uh, So I'll say one, I wish I understood that as intimately as I now do, because I think I would have set up different processes. I would have probably spent money differently. I probably would have hired earlier, all of those sorts of things. I think from a more, that's kind of bad news, from more inspirational side, you know, it's not just my imagination, like we're all consuming really different than our parents. We're we're actually, I think this was a McKinsey study. I'll, I'll send it to you after of no two generations have consumed in such different manners as millennials and their parents, generally baby boomers, where if you look at every generation for as long as we've tracked this, they ate pretty similarly. And it's not a small shift that's happening. It's a massive, massive 180. So whether we're looking at alternative meats or alternative dairies or alternative treats, snacks, in my case, alternative beverages, I mean, something huge is happening. And as buyers, the young buyers become kind of the bulk of the market, you kind of just want to be ready. So to any any beverage entrepreneur that's watching this, that kind of has an inkling that, hey, young people might really like my product, but it's a little too weird. It's a little too different. I actually think maybe old school wisdom would have been, "Hey, you can change 15 percent from the status quo." I think things are changing so fast. I've been just guzzling a pistachio milk the last few days that I am just in love with. Is, is it Tash? Yes, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. It looks incredible. No, it is incredible. I'll I'll sing its praises all day every day. But I'm using that just as an anecdote of like, that's such a weird thing that I know will work. And I just know it will become a real thing. So, if you're listening to this and you have like too weird or too crazy an idea, I think now is the time to have a 100% crazy idea. It doesn't have to just be a slight tweak on this status I,
0: quo. I It's the renaissance in food and beverage. Yeah. And I think it's married with technology that allows you and I to get on our phone and talk to millions of people every day, tell right. stories, and relate to other people who are really emotional about food. And it's the right. problem- one of intimate products you consume it every single day totally. water especially probably be the number one most intimate product um so I, I love it man it's really inspiring i'm gonna are you guys you guys are at uh air one and hopefully so back we are uh i'll put a, a to be determined on that depending on when you're listening to
1: this video hopefully the answer is yes
0: okay all right i'm, I'm gonna push push for it um Thank but let, let me know where i can grab some in los angeles uh, but Paul, this was awesome. Thank you so much for making the time. Of course. Thanks for having me, David. Awesome. Cheers.